listening to the Finance Professor podcast brought to you by financeprofessor.org. Hi, I'm Linus Wilson. So since last time uh, we had uh, Andrew Metric on, this time I'm going to read uh, one of my papers. It's called, uh, it's joint work with Wendy Yan Wu. It's called Characteristics of the Participants in the Commercial Paper Funding Facility. I reached out to a few prominent finance professors, didn't get any replies back, so they weren't interested in an interview, I assume. Then I got busy with other stuff. Uh, so I, as I said, I, I intend this to be an occasional podcast, so I'm not going to make any commitments uh, that we're going to make it monthly. I did hear one place that most podcasts never get past the seventh episode, so we're we're going to go for the seventh episode, and I'm very confident we're going to get well past that. But how quickly? Not sure. So I have one more conference audio to give you from the FMA 2017 meetings. And I think that that'll be interesting. I just need to get around to editing it. And, you know, I have a quite a few papers that are at the working paper stage. And so when I have those papers, I got to revise them. So I think I'm going to read them. But of course, if you have any suggestions about finance professors that you'd like me to talk to, uh, go ahead and send them to me if you want. You know, if you're on my other podcast, I've always had the problem that I'm not lacking for interviews, but I'm lacking for time to edit the interviews. So I'm not really worried about creating content so much as editing the content. But, you know, it'd be nice to have a discussion uh, with another finance professor about his or her research. I would take it from the perspective of someone that probably knows absolutely nothing about their research, and I wouldn't do a ton of uh, research beyond look at their CVs uh, to discuss that. So kind of a type of thing that you'd get from a informal, well, an interview, say, at a conference, if you were interviewing for a job that most of the people on the committee are not going to be experts on your particular uh, action to research, and they're not going to really dig that deeply, but just want to have an informal discussion about what you're interested in and, and what what you're working on. All right, so here's a reading of my joint work with Wendy Yan Wu, Characteristics of the Participants in the Commercial Paper Funding Facility. The Commercial Paper Funding Facility bought commercial paper from highly rated issuers of U.S. dollar commercial paper during the financial crisis of 2008 to 2009. This is the only study to analyze the accounting characteristics of both financial and non-financial participant firms selected for this Federal Reserve Program. CPFF participants and non-participants differed little in terms of profitability, solvency, or liquidity ratios. Nevertheless, CPFF participants were significantly more likely to come from the financial sector to pose greater systemic risks and have received funds from the Troubled Asset Relief Program bailout. 
The baseline predicted probability of participating in the CPFF doubles if the commercial paper issued or participated in the TARP bailout. Section 1, Introduction. The Federal Reserve, through its commercial paper funding facility, made aggregate purchases of commercial paper of $738.3 billion between October 27, 2008 and February 1, 2010. Thus, the emergency lending program rolled out during the height of the financial crisis made aggregate purchases in excess of what was originally authorized under the controversial $700 billion Trouble Asset Relief Program, TARP. To date, no analysis has been done about the characteristics of issuers who sold their commercial paper to the Federal Reserve under the CPFF. This is the first paper to study and analyze the characteristics of participating financial and non-financial firms. The commercial paper funding facility was announced on October 7, 2008. This was during a time of extreme stress for the commercial paper market. Lehman Brothers' failure on September 15, 2008 caused the Primary Reserve Fund, a large money market fund with $785 million in exposure to Lehman Brothers, to mark down its holdings of Lehman Brothers' commercial paper. An investor in the Primary Reserve Fund on September 15, 2008 would have seen her principal balance fall by 3% on September 16, 2008. This was the second one-day principal loss from a money market fund since the fund industry started competing with bank deposits for short-term cash in the late 1970s. The primary reserve funds losses were soon followed by massive withdrawals from money market funds, which were only stemmed by government guarantees for money market mutual fund investors, according to Wilson 2015. Adrian et al. argues that many high-quality prime issuers of commercial paper found their paper no longer welcome among mutual fund managers who moved towards safer assets. Moreover, commercial paper issuers found it hard to roll their paper, refinance their expiring paper, with maturities longer than a few days. The Federal Reserve created the CPFF as part of its Section 13 three powers of the Federal Reserve Act, as amended in 1932 and 1991. This section allowed the Federal Reserve to lend to any individual, partnership, or corporation in unusual and exigent circumstances, according to FedEx. The CPFF bought U.S. dollar-denominated three-month commercial paper from existing highly rated issuers, which applied and were approved for the program. Issuers could only sell the maximum amount of commercial paper outstanding in the months prior to the Lehman bankruptcy, January 1, 2008 to August 31, 2008. Issuers of unsecured commercial paper paid the three-month overnight index swap rate, OIS rate, plus 100 basis points and a guarantee fee of 100 basis points. The three-month OIS rate was near 0%, ranging from 14 to 18 basis points for various subscription dates of the Federal Reserve's program. Issuers of asset-backed commercial paper, ABCP, had to pay the OIS plus 300 basis points. The latter issuers paid higher rates because the ABCP market was under even more stress than the unsecured market as questions about the quality of the ABCP had dominated investors' fears since August 2007. 
This paper finds that if an issuer received TARP bailout funds, then the firm was significantly more likely to participate in the CPFF. We interpret this finding as an indication that there's a positive correlation between receiving assistance from these two federal programs. In addition, this paper finds that participants in the CPFF were more prominent commercial paper issuers. This was one of the few emergency programs open to non-financial companies. For example, McDonald's and BMW participated in the CPFF. Nevertheless, we find commercial paper issuers from the financial sector were significantly more likely to participate in the CPFF. There is very little evidence that commercial paper issuers that participate in the CPFF face more short-term liabilities or liquidity problems than non-participants. Further, there is little or no evidence that CPFF participants had significantly different capital ratios or profitability ratios than non-participants. Thus, there is little evidence that the Federal Reserve cherry-picked the best issuers. On the other hand, there is little evidence that the central bank was victims to the problems of adverse selection when we control for other factors. In fact, the Federal Reserve suffered no losses from the program and made a modest profit. 2. Literature Review 2.1. Papers analyzing the participation and the federal government bailouts in the financial crisis of 2008. While there have been many papers looking at the characteristics of issuers of capital in the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP, there has been no analysis of the participants in the CPFF prior to this paper. The TARP was funded with tax dollars and was debated and eventually passed through Congress. And that program has received far more scrutiny from the public than the myriad of Federal Reserve lending programs such as the CPFF. Most of the papers about which firms were selected for TARP Capital have focused on its largest program, the Capital Purchase Program, which injected $205 billion into 707 healthy banks. Examples of this literature are Bade, Sova, and Shivansi, 2012, Cadman et al., 2012, Duchin and Sosira, 2012, Lee, 2010, Nig et al., 2010, and Talaferro, 2009. Pan and Wilson looks at a much smaller program in the TARP that purchased subordinated debt from credit unions. Pan and Wilson finds that credit unions were in the districts of the Financial Services Committee of the U.S. House of Representatives were three times more likely to receive TARP funds. The authors are not aware of any studies that look into the characteristics of issuers that accepted funds in any of the Federal Reserve's emergency lending programs. Moreover, this is the first study to show that there's a significant positive association between participating in the TARP and one of the emergency lending programs of the Federal Reserve. 2.2 Analysis of the U.S. Commercial Paper Market in 2007-2009 There are many academic papers analyzing the extreme stress to the U.S. commercial paper market during the credit and financial crisis of 2007-2009. However, this is the only paper to analyze the choice of participation in the CPFF. Several studies outlining market circumstances in the overall implementation of the CPFF. Some excellent overviews of the program are Adrian et al., Anderson and Gascon and Kapersnik and Schnabel. Several other papers analyze the stresses on the unsecured and asset-backed commercial paper market in the United States during the crisis period without rigorously testing the impact or mentioning the CPFF.
Fifths et al. finds that the Federal Reserve's purchases of commercial paper through the CPFF had a significant negative effect on the spreads of the commercial paper market during the financial crises of 2008 and 2009. They argue that only the direct purchases of commercial paper by the Federal Reserve were successful in leading to a decline in commercial paper spreads. Other liquidity programs that preceded the CPFF occurred while the commercial paper spreads rose. Other studies look at the stresses to the commercial paper market after the primary reserve fund broke the buck. Gao and Yoon investigate the real effects of public liquidity provision. They provide firm-level evidence on how the CPFF affects the financing and operational decisions of non-financial firms, as well as how the market responds to this liquidity backstop. Gao and Yoon find that the CPFF has a sizable direct economic impact on the CPFF-eligible firms by systemically lowering market risk, default risk, total tail risk, and left tail risk. Cohen and Cole et al. find that after Lehman Brothers' failure, the fraction of the commercial paper market maturing in less than a week or less increased significantly. Yet they find the five-year credit spreads of issuers did not rise significantly over this period. Thus, they argue that liquidity problems, not credit problems, plagued the commercial paper market when the Federal Reserve launched the CPFF. A few papers have studied the asset-backed commercial paper market that experienced stress in 2007, over a year before the Lehman Brothers' failure, and the primary reserve fund broke the buck. Achari and Snobble, 2010, point out that ABCP issued in January 2007 exceeding that of T-bills outstanding. T-bills at the time had a face value of 0.94 trillion and the ABCP had a face value of 1.2 trillion. Acharya and Schnabel argue that ABCP contributed to the global financial crisis because banks all over the world did not hold sufficient capital to cover losses to the long-term assets in their ABCP. CP. Kovitz et al. look at the asset-backed commercial paper market in 2007. They find that after the decision of BNP Paribas to suspend redemptions from the money market mutual funds because the banks questioned the underlying collateral, one-third of the ABCP programs failed to roll over their commercial paper. Kovitz et al. find that the ABCP sold through structured investment vehicles, SIVs, which lack an explicit backstop from the issuer, were significantly more likely to experience a run and be unable to roll over their commercial paper. Yet, Ectaria et al. argue that the ABCP conduits contained implicit backstops by their issuers. Wilson, 2015, finds that money funds which participated in the Fed's emergency lending program for ABCP were more likely to obtain a insurance from the U.S. Treasury's temporary guarantee of money fund assets. We document that an issuer receiving TARP bailout funds was significantly more likely to participate in the CPFF. This implies positive correlation between receiving assistance from these two federal government programs. In short, we find that the TARP and the CPFF are, are complements. This is in contrast to the findings of Wilson et al. 2014, which looked at TARP participation in short-term loans of high-quality collateral through the Federal Reserve Reserve's Emergency Program, the Term Services Lending Facility. That paper found TSLF participants were less likely to receive TARP funds. Thus, in contrast to the CPFF and TARP, the TSLF and TARP were substitutes.
One study complements the detailed description of the CPFF program by Adrian et al. Our study contributes to the literature by providing empirical analysis of the characteristics of CPFF participants. We find little or no evidence that the Federal Reserve distinguished between issuers facing credit and liquidity problems when admitting firms into the CPFF. Adrian et al. does not do any statistical analysis of the accounting ratios of the participants in eligible firms' accounting ratios prior to or after receiving CPFF assistance as we do in the present paper. Gao and Yu in 2012 investigates the effectiveness of the CPFF on selected non-financial firms. That study's detailed analysis provides firm-level evidence that the CPFF-eligible issuers benefited from participating in the program. In contrast to Gao and Yu in 2012, our study includes both financial and non-financial firms. Fir- in the financial sectors experienced greater increases in their commercial paper spreads. Therefore, they might have stronger liquidity needs than non-financial firms. Furthermore, unlike the study, we report differences between participants and non-participants after launching the CPFF. In addition, our study examines whether the Federal Reserve screened the participants based on accounting ratios and fell victim to adverse selection problems. Only the present paper examines if eligible firms with more severe liquidity needs were more likely to receive CPFF funds. Data. The participants in the Federal Reserve's commercial paper funding facility were identified by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. This data was made available as part of a large data release mandated by the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act of 2010. On December 1, 2010, all the Federal Reserve's emergency lending programs released information about the recipients of these programs, including the issuers who sold their commercial paper to the CPFF. The Federal Reserve identifies 80 different industrial and financial commercial paper issuers, which sold a total of $738 billion of traditional and asset-backed commercial paper to the central bank's special purpose entity. Yet many of these issuers were not corporations such as the Republic of Korea, or they were not publicly held at the time such as the privately held GMAC LLC. Thus, many issuers in the CPFF were not included on our universe of 236 commercial paper issuers for which CompuStat has data. Over half of the 80 different issuers named were based outside the U.S. We used two selection criteria to put together a universe of commercial paper issuers eligible for the CPFF. Commercial paper issuers are generally large, well-established corporations. The first selection criteria chose the issuers included in the S&P Commercial Paper Index, Commercial Paper Working Group, and Lehman Brothers Commercial Paper Issuer Report. Issuers from these sources that had accounting data available in CompuStat's North American and Global data sets are included in our sample. Constituents of the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index were large commercial paper issuers in the U.S., Nevertheless, many of the constituents were not U.S.-based firms, as in the case with the recipients of the CPFF. To be included in the index, the issuer must have a corporation that issued at least $2 billion in non-asset-backed commercial paper. Constituents must be commercially rated by either Moody's, S&P, or Fitch. Commercial paper issuers working group is an unaffiliated open form of firms organized in 1996 by representatives which issue commercial paper directly to institutional investors. Lehman Brothers commercial paper issuer reports 
lists the largest base financial and other corporate issuers of commercial paper based on 2006 year-end commercial paper outstanding data. We include all issuers from the above three sources for which CompuStat Global and North America had data. 139 commercial paper issuers in our universe were identified by these criteria. The second criteria chose companies in CompuStat Global and North America which reported positive amounts of commercial paper liabilities separately on their financial disclosure. CompuStat tracks the firms that listed commercial paper as a liability on their balance sheet by the data item CMP. 97 additional firms for which the CompuStat line item CMP was greater than zero but are not covered by those above three indexes are identified by the second criterion. 42 CPFF participants were contained in our sample universe of 236 commercial paper issuers. The names of the CPFF participants are detailed in Table 1. The first column lists the names of 42 participants included in our sample. The second column lists the names of 38 participants not included in our sample. The biggest participant in the CPFF, the Swiss investment bank UBS, sold $75.4 billion in commercial paper to the Federal Reserve. The American investment bank Goldman Sachs sold the smallest amount of commercial paper 10 million to the CPFF. The first transaction occurred on October 27, 2008, and the last transaction occurred on January 25, 2010. The latest maturing piece of commercial paper purchased by the CPFF matured on April 26, 2010. We define net income as earnings before interest and taxes, EBIT less interest expense and total taxes paid. Return on assets is net income divided by total assets. Return on equity was net income divided by book common equity. To reduce the influence from outliers, we Windsorize the top, bottom, and one percentile of ROA. Four observations were eliminated. We also eliminated one observation, which reported negative equity from per- the profitability ratio of ROE. Therefore, our final sample contains 231 firms for 2007 and and 207 firms for 2008. The summary statistics are in Table 2. About 69% of our sample of 231 firms are financial issuers, which roughly corresponds to the percentages in the S&P index as a whole. Approximately 6% of our universe comes from issuers who receive taxpayer investments from the TARP. Table 2 shows that book common equity as a percent of assets, return on assets, and the return on equity declined substantially from the annual reports in 2007 and 2008. Thus, the solvency and profitability of these commercial paper issuers declined markedly during the financial crisis of 2008. The Federal Reserve, in most cases, had access to 2007 annual data, but no 2008 data by the time it made most of the investments in late 2008 and early 2009. Thus, the 2007 accounting data could be seen as a proxy for how selective the Federal Reserve was in making its commercial paper purchases. Yet, the 2008 results are unlikely to, are likely to illuminate the extent to which adverse selection caused troubled issuers to sell their risky commercial paper to the Federal Reserve. Because a large proportion of our sample of commercial paper issuers are not U.S.-based firms, many data items were not available from CompuStat. Liquidity measures such as the quick ratio or the current ratio were not used because of lack of data items for these measures, uh, which would have eliminated three-quarters of the sample and almost all CPFF participants from the analysis. 
Thus, we use short-term debt over total assets and short-term debt over book common equity as a measure of liquidity. Higher short-term debt ratio can lead to liquidity problems. The mean short-term debt to equity ratio deteriorated from the end of 2007 to the end of 2008, while the mean short-term debt to assets ratio stayed unchanged from 2007 to 2008. We also use the amount of commercial paper outstanding as an alternative liquidity measure. Due to data limitations, only about 103 observations in 2007 and 76 observations in 2008 have commercial paper data. Section 4, Hypotheses. Financial firms are more interconnected than industrial firms. The failure of one financial firm, such as the investment bank Lehman Brothers, may lead its rivals, such as Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, weaker. In contrast, the failure of an industrial firm is likely to strengthen its rivals because its rivals face less competition for resources and have greater pricing power. In addition, the crisis of 2008 was a financial crisis, and it hit firms in the financial sector the hardest. Griffiths et al. 2011 finds that the spread on highly rated non-financial commercial paper was only slightly affected by the financial crisis. In contrast, financial issuers saw their cost of issuing short-term commercial paper rise dramatically. Griffiths et al. estimate that after the failure of Lehman Brothers, 30-day unsecured AA-rated financial commercial paper yielded 104 basis points above 30-day unsecured AA-rated non-financial commercial paper. Thus, financial issuers would find selling their commercial paper to the Federal Reserve more attractive than non-financial issuers. One of the Federal Reserve's primary missions is to ensure the safety and soundness of the banking sector. Thus, it has a history of evaluating lending assistance to financial firms. For all these reasons, we believe that the Federal Reserve is more likely to favor financial firms than the CPFF. The domestic commercial paper issuers might be better connected with the Fed, hence more likely to participate in the CPFF than foreign issuers. The Troubled Asset Relief Program was a controversial program which allowed the U.S. Treasury to make up to $700 billion in purchases of assets and securities to stabilize the U.S. financial sector. Sorkin 2009 and Paulson 2010 argued that the Federal Reserve was working in concert with the U.S. Treasury during the crisis. Paulson 2010-343 writes that the then-Secretary of the U.S. Treasury, Henry Paulson, and the Federal Reserve Chairman, Ben Bernanke, debated whether the CPFF should be run by the Treasury with TARP funds or by the Federal Reserve. Wilson et al. find a negative and significant relationship between participating in the term securities lending facility and having funds from the Troubled Asset Relief Program. We believe that firms needing TARP funds will also want to sell their commercial paper to the Federal Reserve through the CPFF. Yet there are two characteristics of TARP recipients that may also be positively associated with tapping the CPFF. First, most TARP recipients were financial firms. Financial issuers struggled more during the 2007 to 2009 crisis than industrial firms and may have needed the CPFF more than non-financial firms. Second, TARP recipients were exclusively U.S.-based or domestic firms who may have been more likely to participate in the CPFF. Domestic firms have been better connected, more aware of the CPF program, and less worried about the stigma of selling their commercial paper to the U.S. Federal Reserve. Yet since all these factors are highly correlated, we believe that it is very difficult to separate out whether being a TARP recipient 
a financial firm or a U.S.-based firm was more important in increasing the likelihood that such a firm would obtain CPF funds. For this reason, the TARP hypothesis has three parts. Hypothesis 1, TARP. Null hypothesis A, recipients of the TARP funds are more likely to participate in the CPFF. Null hypothesis B, financial issuers are more likely to participate in the CPFF. Null hypothesis C, U.S.-based issuers, domestic firms, are more likely to participate in the CPFF. We would like to think that the Federal Reserve was careful when it bought up companies' commercial paper. If it were, it would have only allowed profitable commercial paper issuers with high common equity ratios to join the program. That leads us to hypothesis 2 below. Hypothesis 2 screening. Null hypothesis. The Federal Reserve will only allow commercial paper issuers with significantly higher 2007 profitability and capital ratios to participate in the commercial paper funding facility, CPFF. The Federal Reserve could not see into the future with any accuracy. Most of their commercial paper issuers began participating in the program prior to the release of their 2008 results. Thus, some commercial paper issuers expecting poor earning results in 2008 may have been more likely to participate in the program than issuers expecting solid earnings numbers and robust common equity ratios at the release of 2008 data. Hypothesis 3, adverse selection. Null hypothesis. The commercial paper issuers with significantly lower 2008 profitability and capital ratios will be more likely to participate in the CPFF. It is generally believed that the Federal Reserve's role is to provide liquidity in the times of stress. Thus, during the crisis of 2008 and 2009, the Federal Reserve would not be averse to providing liquidity for commercial paper issuers who are more acutely suffering from short-term liquidity problems. Further, commercial paper issuers who have a lot of short-term liabilities will suffer the greatest when the commercial paper rate spiked after the failure of Lehman Brothers. Hypothesis for liquidity. Null hypothesis. Commercial paper issuers with high commercial paper outstanding or high ratios of short-term debt and accounts payable to common equity or total assets in 2007 and 2008 would be significantly more likely to participate in the CPFF. The Federal Reserve will favor more prominent commercial paper issuers because their financial distress will pose greater systemic risks. We use assets as a measure for systemic risk. We use the S&P Commercial Paper Index dummy and the number of issues by these commercial paper issuers as alternative proxies for systemic risks. The constituents of the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index were selected for that index because they had large issues of U.S. dollar commercial paper and strong credit ratings for those issues. Commercial paper issuers with several issues on the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index are more likely to pose systemic risks than issuers with none or only a few issues on the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index. Hypothesis 5, systemic risk. Commercial paper issuers that have greater total assets or are constituents of the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index and issuers with more issues on the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index are more likely to participate in the CPFF. Results. In Table 3, we look at the means for each variable of interest dividing the sample into commercial papers who did y equals 1 and did not y equals 0 participate in the CPFF. The independent sample t-tests in Table 3 lend support to hypotheses 1, 4, and 5. 
These tests indicate that CPFF recipients were more likely to be financial firms and domestic firms and were more likely to participate in the TARP bailout, hypothesis one, face significantly more liquidity problems, hypothesis four, and pose more systemic risks, hypothesis five. TARP recipients were over three times more likely to participate in the CPFF than non-TARP recipient commercial paper issuers. In addition, the CPFF participants were over three times the size of non-CPFF participants in terms of total assets. The CPFF participants also had twice as many issues on the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index. There is little support in Table 2 for the idea that the Federal Reserve cherry-picked the best issuers, Hypothesis 2 screening, or that adverse selection was a major problem, Hypothesis 3. Financial firms have very different financial ratios from their industrial counterparts, thus it would be interesting to see if any of the hypotheses that received support were rejected in the independent sample t-test. In Table 3, we find more or less support for this when we focus only on which financial firms did or did not participate in the CPFF. Hypothesis 1, TARP, financial and domestic, and 5, systemic risk are still supported in Table 4 when we look at only financial commercial paper issuers. Yet the liquidity hypothesis, hypothesis 4, cannot be accepted based on the t-test results in Table 4. As before in Table 3, there is no support for the hypothesis that the Federal Reserve effectively screened out weaker potential participants, hypothesis 2, or that adverse selection, hypothesis 3, was a big problem in the CPFF. We would like to see how many factors simultaneously affect the likelihood of CPF participation. To do that, we will use the logistic model. Suppose that PI is the probability that the firm I in our sample participates in the CPFF. If the firm participates in the CPFF, the dependent variable Y equals 1. Let XI be a row vector of independent variables of the ith observation in our sample. Let B be a column vector of the coefficients estimated from our model probability of the dependent variable equaling 1 if the distribution of outcomes is logistic is the following. To estimate the linear regression, we take a natural log of the odds ratio, pi over 1 minus pi. The logistic model is then estimated using maximum likelihood techniques. In Table 5, we ran logistic regressions of the log likelihood ratio of commercial paper issuers participating in the CPFF using 2007 accounting data. The only hypothesis that received support in these regressions are hypotheses 1 and 5. Thus, TARP recipients, domestic firms, financial firms, larger firms, and firms with more commercial paper issues in the S&P index are significantly more likely to participate in the CPFF. The screening and liquidity hypotheses, hypotheses 2 and 4, receive no support because all of the associated coefficients for these conjectures are insignificant. Our sample includes financial firms and non-financials. Since most of the participants are financial firms, and financial firms tend to have lower capital ratios, it might be possible that the lack of evidence in favor of hypothesis 2 might be driven by mixing financial and non-financial firms. To rule out that possibility, we conduct subsample analysis using financial firms only. The unreported subsample analysis shows similar results to Table 5. 
That is, the regression results support hypothesis 1 and hypothesis 5, but do not support other hypotheses. We see a similar story emerging when we look at the sample which had financial data for 2008. Hypothesis 1 and hypothesis 5 about TARP financial and domestic firms systemic risks respectively have coefficients that are of the correct sign and are statistically significant. Hypothesis 3 and 4 about adverse selection and liquidity respectively have associated coefficients which are insignificant. Thus, the adverse selection and liquidity hypotheses can be rejected. Controlling for other factors, CPFF, participants did not have significantly lower capital and profitability ratios than non-participants in our sample. In addition, they did not face significantly more liquidity problems than non-participants. We cannot entirely rule out the possibility that the profitability and capital ratios of the CPFF participants did not improve in 2008 because they benefited from lower funding costs in late 2008 due to their participation in the Federal Reserve Program. The first CPFF commercial paper was purchased on October 27, 2008. Thus, it is possible the positive impact to the fourth quarter results may have made the profitability and capital ratios of CPFF participants high enough that those coefficients were insignificant in Table 6. Nevertheless, in many specifications, the coefficients had the opposite of the predicted sign of hypothesis 3. Moreover, the lower funding costs would only impact the return on equity ratio and the capital ratios, not the return on assets profitability ratio. The return on assets coefficients in Table 6, which should not be affected by debt funding costs, were also insignificant. The logistic regressions in Tables 5 and 6 can be used to generate predicted probabilities of the sampled commercial paper issuer participating in the CPFF. Coefficients may have statistical significance, but they may have little effect on the probability of participation. That is not the case here. In Model 1 in Table 5, a firm with the median characteristics from Table 2 will be a financial firm in the S&P U.S. Commercial Paper Index which did not receive TARP funds. The median commercial paper issuer had 29.3% predicted probability of selling its paper to the CPFF. If that issuer with otherwise median characteristics participated in the TARP, then the firm's probability of participation jumps to 58.2% according to Model 1 of Table 5. Suppose that the issuer was not a financial firm. In that case, its predicted probability of participation drops from 29.3% to 4%. Alternatively, if the otherwise median issuer was not a S&P U.S. commercial paper index, its probability of participation drops from 29.3 to 9%. Thus, all the statistically significant coefficients also have a big impact on the predicted likelihood of the issuers participating in the Federal Reserve's CPFF. In contrast, the insignificant coefficients based on solvency, profitability, and liquidity ratios are close to zero. Thus, relatively big swings in those accounting ratios will likely have little impact on the predicted probability of participating in the government purchases of commercial paper. Section 6, Conclusion The crisis in the commercial paper market caused by the subprime problems and the investment bank Lehman Brothers' partial default on its commercial paper led to severe disruptions in the commercial paper market. This paper looks at the factors associated with a commercial paper issuers participating in a program launched during the financial crisis of 2008, 
which purchase commercial paper from highly rated commercial paper issuers, we find that there is little evidence that the Federal Reserve, which funded the emergency lending program, either screened out the best issuers for the program or was generally a victim of adverse selection. Moreover, issuers in the commercial paper funding facility were not more exposed to the short-term liquidity crunches than non-participants. Instead, the participants in the program were significantly more likely to pose systemic risks to be financial issuers and to participate in the Troubled Asset Relief Program TARP bailout. It seems that there is a positive correlation between the federal bailouts. Firms that are bailed out once by either TARP or CPFF are significantly more likely to be bailed out by the other government program. All right, that's it for my joint work with Wendy Yan Wu of Wilfrid Laurier University. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll be bringing you some new podcasts in 2018 on the Finance Professor podcast, brought to you by thefinanceprofessor.org, where you can sign up for our free newsletter and get links to my CV and my research.